You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast each Sunday at 11 a.m. on WLOB 1310 a.m. and available streaming online at WLOBradio.com. Podcasts are available at DrLisa.org. Thank you for joining us. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Growing up in the 70s and 60s, there were no ticks in the area. The how, you have houses that are in, in the two-acre to eight-acre wood lots where the white-tailed deer are, and it's not that they've moved in, we've moved out to them. Just having a better sense of how dogs learn and how dogs learn how to interact with humans, um, all dogs are teachable and trainable. A lot of it is the consistency, and I think sometimes people who are busy or people who are stressed aren't always able to focus on what that consistent message to the dog is. People actually told me, you should have this dog as a therapy dog. So I did some research, and many months later, Jake became uh, a therapy dog. I was truly led to being a therapy dog handler by my dog. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Pierce Atwood, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Blyle, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 24, Creature Comfort, airing for the first time on Sunday, February 26th, 2012, on WLOB Radio, Portland, 1310 a.m., streaming online, wlobradio.com. Or perhaps you are listening on our website, drlisa.org, or by subscribing through iTunes to our weekly podcast. This show's topic, Creature Comfort, will include conversations with Dr. Doug Andrews of the Falmouth Veterinary Clinic, Kristen Smith of Planet Dog, and John Locke, the therapy dog owner of Jake and Gypsy, who works at the Maine Medical Center. And across the microphone from me today, we have Genevieve Morgan, my co-host. Hi, Genevieve. Hi, Lisa. I have one question for you. Did you ever have a dog? Yes, actually, I did. In fact, I had, um, well, currently, Lightning is still alive. He lives with his... um, it was with my kids and their father across town from me now. But yes, Lightning's a good old dog. He's been around quite a long time. We also had Daisy, who was a little beagle, and unfortunately she had an untimely de- demise. Beagles, they, they follow their noses, and they sometimes get themselves into trouble. Mm. But also we had Blackie, and um, that was the first dog I remember. That could go on and on. We have lo- we've had lots of dogs So in you've my always life. had dogs or a pet in your house. Oh, and yes, cats ad nauseum. We've, yes, we, yes, we have. How about you? I have as well. And I I had my first cat was Jane. And we, I lived in Manhattan. And we still had pets my entire time. Actually, I think I had a turtle before I had Jane. But we had dogs even in an apartment. So I grew up with animals. You grew up with animals. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we find this so interesting. We yeah, That's one of the reasons that we find this so interesting. And also this the sense that Um, which we've said before that you may be a creature walking on two legs, you may be a creature walking on four legs, or perhaps you're a swimming or a flying creature, but there 
there's a lot of genetic consistency. In fact, we're closer to our fellow creatures than we are far apart. Well, one of the reasons I became interested in this topic pretty early on was, in, in addition to having my own pets, was um, that when I was a resident at the Maine Medical Center and then a fellow at the University of Massachusetts in the Preventive Medicine Program, there were very active animal communities, therapies, um, that were going on within these institutions. And there was the acknowledgement that indeed animals could be helpful to hospitalized patients. And we also had Sarah Armentrout come in and talk about EQuest and um, the Carlisle Riding Academy and talked about horses and how they were helpful. And it just, it's, I think this is, this is going to be probably the first show of many in which we will kind of go back and forth between creature health. Well, and I think companion animals in particular add so much to our emotional enjoyment. Um, they get us out in the out in society and out in the environment. With dogs, you have to walk them. But also, there's just nothing better than coming home to a dog that's waiting to see you. It can make your day if, you, if you're living alone or if you've recently lost someone. So I'm glad we're showing some appreciation. I, I think it's important, especially given that we know that we're very connected via Facebook and email, and we have all this electronic connection with the people in our lives. And sometimes that causes us to lose the physical, emotional, social connection with the people in our lives. So it's, you know, we can be as connected as we've ever been to Aunt Joan in California, and yet we haven't hugged her in months. I think pets ha are filling that interesting void, you know, and really helping deal with some of that loneliness that we're feeling, that disconnection that we're feeling from our fellow humans. Well, we are pack animals, correct? Homo yeah, sapiens are pack animals. Yeah, we are meant to be with other animals, and I'm I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that we're going to kind of come back around. Everything, if you look at history, it, it always goes you know too far in one direction, and then it kind of boomerangs back to the other direction. I'm hoping that all of the social media and the connectivity, from an electronic standpoint, a digital standpoint, is going to we're going to realize that we really do need to be with other people, and we're going to come back and be with other people. In the meantime. We've got our pets. Well, I will say one thing um, to, the, to the connectivity piece that maybe we should address. Uh, I noticed when I go to pick up my children, I'm surprised how many people, and myself included up to a certain point when I started to notice this, were talking on their cell phones, and their children would come out of the school door, and they won't put down their cell phone. And here's a moment where your child's coming out of, of, of a day with all this energy and we don't, you don't know what's happened, could be good, could be bad. And it's the perfect moment to kind of embrace them and hold them and hear their day. And yet you're having a relationship with the person on the cell phone, not the relationship with your kid. So I've been trying in the past you know, couple months to just put the cell phone away when I pick my children up at school and be present with them. And um, I mean, same goes for my dog. Well, that being present piece is just supremely important. I mean, it's that is what we need to keep doing with the individuals in our lives who are the most important. And it is probably getting rid of our electronic tethers. It is being able to sit across from somebody and have a converse, have a conversation. It is being able to um, even just sit with them, not saying anything at all, but just being physically present. And in the meantime, we can use our dogs and our cats to sort of train us to go back to this because they're not judgmental. They're not going to give us negative feedback, typically. You they, know. Don't, they can't use a BlackBerry. They, right? don't, have, they gonna, don't have opposable thumbs. They're not tethered. So <laughs> this is why, you know, animals can be very valuable. And, and we are going to talk with 
um, Doug Andrews and Kristen Smith and John Locke about how animals can be helpful from a human standpoint, a socialization standpoint. We're also going to talk about how there is an intersection between um, animal and human health. So that'll be an interesting conversation as well. And uh, a little bit about sort of the, f the impact on animals and the pets, the pet owners, um, that the financial, the current financial situation in this country is causing. So it'll be a broad ranging conversation, but we think that people will enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. Each week we feature a wellness innovation as part of this affiliation with the University of New England. And this week's innovation comes from ABC News. According to ABC News, fun and play are key to survival for bears, dogs, humans, birds, and maybe even ants. It sounds like a paradox. How could play, defined as apparently purposeless activity that's fun to do and pleasurable, be vital for grim survival in such an often random and dangerous world? And not just, in, not just play in childhood, but throughout life. And throughout life, not only in humans, but in all sorts of animals, including hungry polar bears, chained sled dogs, rats, cats, otters, migratory birds, and yes, maybe, yes, ants. Play is one of the brain's best forms of exercise. The exploratory and risk-taking nature of play, including the healthy rough-and-tumble play that sometimes frightens protective parents, opens the brain to new ideas. Play gives a brain the experience and thus the courage to search outside the box to try out new ways of doing things in an unpredictable world that constantly keeps presenting new kinds of menacing problems and obstacles to survival. A growing number of scientists and other professional researchers are amassing evidence that in all kinds of creatures, an innate impulse and ability to play has been favored by evolution down through the eons. For more information on this wellness innovation, go to drlisa.org. For more information on the University of New England, go to une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. Today's show is called Creature Comfort. And appropriately enough, we have Dr. Doug Andrews of the Falmouth Veterinary Clinic in to speak with us about creatures and their comfort and humans and their comfort and the interaction between the two. Hi, Dr. Andrews. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? I'm doing well, and I have next to me Genevieve Morgan. Hi, Dr. Andrews. Hi, Genevieve. Uh, Dr. Andrews, you have been doing this veterinary medicine for a really long time. I have growing roots right now. Uh, I've been doing this since uh, I graduated May of 1979, and I started off in a mixed animal practice for three and a half years, and it was the uh, all creatures great and small kind of lifestyle, and um, decided to move from there to primarily companion animal practice. Pri uh, 
due to the fact that the um, demographics of Portland area were changing and there's just such an information explosion, it was very difficult to be very good at one, uh, multiple species. It was quite frustrating. So I've been at uh, companion animal practice since um, February of 1983. I don't want to count the years. I know it's 30 plus at this point. Yeah, 1983 was a few years back now. It was. I scary. My a lot of my staff wasn't even born then. <laughs> and well, I was born then, so. Oh, it was. Yes, oh, right. My, so, oh we're, so we're, I'm not. I'm feeling old. No. Okay. So, um, I'm interested because well, you and I met and we talked in the fall, and you were describing Falmouth and Portland as being a very different place than it is today. Even the corridor and Route One. I think you were talking about farmland. You were talking about. Mm-hmm. open fields and yep. there were large animals back then even in the space sure there were the dairy Portland farms area. um in off of wind road in falmouth uh those that have been around remember pete zacharias um he still has some dairy cattle i believe i haven't been out to his farm for ages uh there's um horse stables on blackstrap road that were uh, norton's stables i believe and uh there's another, um, I think it was a Guernsey farm off of, um, oh, I can't, one of the roads that connects Route 26 to Blackstrap. Um, and you get the further away from Portland that you went up to Gray. Uh, there's a lot of beef cattle, uh, sheep, sheep farms, you name it. And they're still around. They're just fewer, fewer uh, than there were certainly back 25, 30 years ago. Well, and that was going to be my question, is how has the sort of animal landscape changed from what you can see in the greater Portland Well, it's the urban, st- urban sprawl, certainly. Um, a lot of the Zacharias land went to development, and um, areas that were large ranges or large expanses of land uh, have had houses placed uh, in, in the areas that were graze land for the cattle and the horses. And this is just mushroomed out in the greater Portland area, going out Route 26, past um, Falmouth, Hadlock Road, um, if there's some stables out there. There was very few houses at that point, um, and they have all filled in in the last 20 years, especially during the growth of the mid-'80s and the growth of the mid-'90s. So the animals have gotten smaller. <clears throat> the, large, the large animals have gotten smaller. And, and there was a large amount of uh, the majority of cats were outdoor cats at that time, we did not have any vaccination for leukemia virus in, until I think 84, 85 when it came out. And we would see a lot, uh, experience a lot more ex- infectious diseases, especially in the feline world. That I would say one cat a week or more would come in with that virus, which is essentially a devastating immunosuppressive disease. So they would, um, you'd be seeing clinical illness of any kind uh, due to the, the virus that they were fighting off. So the sort of urbanization and suburbanization of this area has actually caused crowding amongst the animal kingdom and has and, caused disease. And crowd, Well, yeah, and crowding amongst the, the human kingdom, they're finding that a lot of the emerging diseases are not occurring because of the of pets going from outdoors, especially dogs where they're in dog houses into the bedrooms and living rooms and having a closer relationship but they're finding a lot of these diseases that are coming are, are at the encroachment upon the uh, urban, um, rural, or I think there's a peri-suburban area, that, the transition zone, and we're flushing a lot of these diseases out ourselves because of the 
um, growth of, well, the previous growth up until 2006 of the greater Portland area, and that's really true all across the country. Exactly. Certainly that's cap the, the prime example are ticks. Uh, growing up in the 70s and 60s, there were no ticks in the area, but the white-tailed deer population has exploded, and they're directly correlated with a number of ticks, but um, the how you have houses that are on the in, in the two acre to eight acre wood lots where the white-tailed deer are, and it's not that they've moved in; we've moved out to them. It's an inter and that was actually my next question, which is, to, you know, talk a little bit about the interaction between um, human and animal health. I mean, so you have, you talked about feline leukemia virus, and that is animal. That's not an animal-human crossover. Correct. Correct. Um, and you've talked about ticks, and actually, that is a there is a crossover. I mean, you don't get Lyme disease from your dog. Correct. You the dogs get Lyme disease. Cats get Lyme disease. Speak a cats, little. Cats, there haven't been. Uh, they, if you talk to the parasitologists, they have stated there haven't been any documented Lyme disease cases in cats. But if you talk to feline practitioners. Um, they feel they have seen them, so that's a little controversial. But these are all vector-borne diseases, therefore you can't say they're strictly zoonotic where they go from animal directly to pet, but they're going from tick to human, tick to dog. So tell me, what, what's a vector for those uh, people who A vector who are is, um, let's say it's like a Trojan horse. It's a disease, infectious agent, uh, parasite that is transmitted via uh, another host, um, whether that's the flea, whether that's the tick. Um, those are, if a mosquito would be a vector for tr um, transmitting uh, equine encephalitis. Those are what, that's my definition of vectors. And I'm not a parasitologist, and that was 35 years ago, but that's the best shot I can make. That's, that's a good shot, because I'm sure people listening, most people are not parasitologists either, so that's, good job with that. I'm happy about that. <laughs> and some of the change that's come is people's relationships with their animals because in 25 30 years ago if you're working on a farm with animals there you work with your animals you and you stable them you don't bring them in your house but now our companion animals are almost like our children that's definitely a transition that we've all seen over the last 20 years um again in the feline world the majority of cats are now indoors um the we i have declawed many cats, and I've still declawed, but that's a very controversial subject. But you go to other areas of the country, and it it really depends on the um, the culture of the area. There's declaws done quite frequently. Uh, it's presented as an option. I'm neither for nor against, but there, you can't say that a procedure is never warranted because you have elderly people that uh, have thin skin and uh, things don't work when the cat uses them as a trampoline. And it, there's it just as situation specific. That doesn't answer your question, though. Uh, well, are there risks associated with this new closeness between animals and humans? I think there's in, increased risk, but you have to take them in proportion to the um, statistical probability and the incidence uh, for small children and immunosuppressed adults where uh, the companion, uh, companion animal parasite council or CAPC, uh, we've, we get about 10,000, we documented 10,000 cases of larval ascarid migration uh, exposure in the United States, which isn't a huge incidence considering we're 300 million plus people. So wait, what did you just say, lar uh, larval? They're ascarids. So ascarids are what we call roundworms that are passed in the feline world, canine, and also raccoons. 
And their eggs are pretty sturdy. Uh, they can provide, probably survive a nuclear holocaust. And they're something that everyone gets exposed to outside at some point. And with that risk, um, we have gone, and especially with small children and, and, like I told you, elderly people, it's best to have your pet on a um, product that will control these parasites, intestinal worms, uh, not only in the warm summer months, but we'd recommend it throughout the year. They're inexpensive, they're very safe, and um, you want to protect for that segment of the population that is susceptible. However, there's an, on the other side, if you look at these, all these infectious diseases, um, back 30, 40 years ago, we're outside playing in the mud puddles. Um, we didn't have um, these little Clorox uh, wipets that you want to disinfect your house with. It's not good that our immune systems as young children and young adults are not getting these exposures. These exposures from zero to five years of age shape your life as an adult all the lymphoid immune tissue to prevent diseases. So we, there's a real fine line between getting very paranoid about everything and going through your early childhood never exposed to anything, living in a bubble. That is not good. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC, and by Akari, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style, located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook and learn more about their new boutique and Medispa at akaribeauty.com. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll, and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. How do you feel about pet insurance? I think pet insurance is a, a great product. There's uh, several products out there. There, um, it's not one shoe fits all, but there's all sorts of premiums. Depends on your your level of risk. Uh, there's a one company that provides a ten dollar, fifteen dollar a month premium. That's essentially a catastrophic policy for uh, events such as a chair falling on your pet, even inside, breaking a leg. Um, so it's not going to cover you for wellness and routine annual vaccinations, but it's for those disasters that you absolutely do not have the $500, $2,000 fee to uh, help with the repair of uh, the, the pet. There's um, certainly that's another area of veterinary medicine has changed as we've gone from the general practitioner where we rely primarily on history and physicals, probably similar to, similar to physicians back in the, in the mid-1900s, uh, mid 50s, and 60s, where we're relying more and more on technology. But this is all consumer demand. Uh, there's, you can have ultrasound imaging and CAT scan imaging. CAT scans are now almost becoming as routine as ultrasounds and x-rays as these, these um, machines and technology become less and less expensive, similar to the personal computer. And it's been 
really a demand of our clientele. It's not 100% of the clientele, but uh, the demand has been there, so we've gone to that that extra step to provide those services. Well, clearly people love their pets, which is why they want these high-end services. We've talked about some of the risks that can be alleviated through basic veterinary care. So what are the benefits of having companion animals close to you in your house? Well, the benefits of, a, of a, having indoor cats, certainly, I think, is one, a meditative benefit. There's nothing like having a cat on your lap purring while you're sitting down watching the television or reading a book. I think that helps um, entrain your brain, and you, be, you become more relaxed. Uh, uh, on the other hand, if you look into the dog world, dogs have to go outside. I know that when I, I don't have a dog right now because I'm in the process of hopefully moving and I'm in transition, but... I was out far more often in the winter because I've become less tolerant of cold as I progress in my years. I used to ski and do all these outdoor things, but I was out all the time with this dog running on the trails, on the uh, the Portland trails, and um, without a dog, I'm not doing that. So it, there's no question there's a health benefit for exercise and getting people out, um, not even counting the uh, psychological benefit of uh, having... Coming home, they're all uh, dog or cat's always happy to see you. Unlike some of our children or spouses, there's always other issues. But there's there's unconditional um, rewards uh, that they'll always give you. Well, we've been speaking with Dr. Doug Andrews of the Falmouth Veterinary Clinic. We appreciate your coming in and talking to us about creature comfort. My pleasure. One of my creature comforts is writing on my Bountiful blog on a somewhat regular basis at bountiful-blog.com. This blog post is from January 2nd, 2012, and it is called Oh Possum. New Year's Eve was a raucous adventure at my house. There was banging and slamming, bodies throwing themselves against doors, and there was slumber. I engaged in the latter. Following a long run that morning, myriad errands and multiple rides given to my progeny, their social lives more active than mine this particular evening, I had retired early with a container of shrimp pad thai and a stack of Redbox videos. My 11-year-old eventually back in the house, we locked up and readied ourselves to greet 2012 from supine positions. Then the banging began. Having two teenagers, I thought little of the strange noises emanating from our first floor. I assumed that the kids had returned for a forgotten item, neglecting to greet me in their haste. Soft bumps and muffled crashes ensued, somewhat masked by the sound effects of the DVD I was watching. I asked myself whether it might be worth moving from my upstairs lair to investigate. Hearing no screams or human cries, I surmised the sounds might be instead coming from an especially vigorous dryer load. Unconcerned, I slumbered. New Year's Day rose bright and fine. I thought nothing further of the prior evening's audio disturbances, until I noticed that our porch door, normally propped open for the cat's ease of entry, was strangely shut. And a very cat-like mound of fur rose out of the large Tupperware container containing our feline's food. Except this fur was striped gray, and our cat is black. I realized that a possum friend had come to call, and, finding a place of warmth and sustenance, had welcomed herself in. The porch door shut behind her, and his possum curled up in the kitty chow for a long winter's nap. 
I propped the porch door open and pushed the food container on its side, wishing for all the world that I had a man in my house to help me with this ever-so-revolting task. Call me sexist. I don't care. And not one, but two possums waddled straight out the door, blinking lazily in the winter sun. I wondered what message the universe might be sending me, what hidden meaning there might be in my crittersome New Year's adventure. Something about ignoring even the most obvious of disturbances and getting an unpleasant surprise in return? Something about taking advantage of warmth and food when offered? Maybe something about hiring a man to live in my basement to take care of noxious tasks that hold no interest for this single lady. Or perhaps simply that I can no longer keep my porch door open, despite El Gato's pleas. Hard to say. But I was glad that someone, something, had a raucous time this past New Year's Eve. I wasn't the only one to ring in the new year with a belly full of food and a comfy place to sleep. Read this blog post and others like it at bountiful-blog.com. Genevieve, we just finished speaking with Dr. Doug Andrews of the Falmouth Veterinary Clinic, and he referenced an organization called One Health Commission, which speaks to the idea that there really isn't any line between creatures of different sorts, be they human or animal. And you have somebody in to speak with us today who's going to maybe talk a little bit about that. I do, Lisa. Thanks so much. Today on the Maine Magazine Minutes, we have Kristen Smith, who is the brand ambassador for Planet Dog. Planet Dog, they have a mission to amuse, explore, support, innovate, create, educate, celebrate, and philanthropate, all in the name of dog. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you very much for having me. And, And part of your philanthropy is, I think it said, think globally, act doggedly. Is that what I'm reading? That's right. That's actually a motto for Planet Dog overall, that, um, you know, we are interested in things at the local level, but also globally to enhance the lifestyle that people share with their pets. And how does that benefit our well-being? Well, there's study after study that will show that people who have a pet have lower, um, their blood pressure is lower, their anxiety levels are lower. There are studies that show that the social interaction of taking a dog for a walk, in addition to the health benefits that come from taking regular walks, there's also a social component there that gets people talking to each other, so it can help to alleviate loneliness. Um and obviously to enhance the joy that people experience every day when they have a nice little friend to share it with. Well, one of the things that Planet Dog does is to make that life with your dog more fun and easier. I know from just being in the store, you've got great items and toys and and great food, and it all seems to be just about ratcheting it up a notch. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, what we really want to do, again, is to enhance that lifestyle that people have with their dogs. And when people want to be healthy themselves and provide the healthiest options for their family, they want to do the same for their pets. So we really do carry a a very high level of food, for example, at the store. Um, You know, we we don't have any, um, all the foods that we carry have incredibly strong ingredients. There's no fillers and byproducts and things that you might 
find in some of the um, other pet foods out there. We promote a very healthy diet for pets. We have raw food there for people who want to try that for their dogs uh, and bridges in between the raw food and fully packaged foods. Um, We have a very knowledgeable staff that can help people figure out the healthiest way for their pets to eat, but then in addition, all sorts of great games and toys and ways to interact with your pet that keep your pet healthy and um, fit. So I'm hearing that you have organic dog food, you have healthy dog food, you have raw dog food, and it's very all very holistic. Do you have other products that are equally holistic for animals and their owners? We do. We actually carry quite a broad range of holistic uh, supplements, um, vitamins for dogs, additives to the food, salmon oils, and um, all sorts of great things that can help promote dogs' health. We have a couple of different main-based companies that provide, that pull together herbal uh, supplement recipes to address, to help, um, for example, to help dogs naturally fend off ticks um, as sort of a natural way to help um, avoid Lyme disease, um, as well as some treatment options for arthritis and for joint problems, supplements that can help boost a dog's immune system without having to rely necessarily on pharmaceuticals all the time. So again, different ways to supplement the dog's diet to really have a holistic approach to their health. We, we offer sometimes some training programs at the store as well. We'll have speakers come in and talk about comprehensive dog nutrition and how to cook for your dog and make sure that you're meeting all of the nutritional requirements, what some of these different supplements are and how they can help boost for specific problems. Um, there's a lot of dogs that have food allergies and you'll see a dog that's really itchy and people don't necessarily know why. And so we have all of these range of, of products that can help address a whole range of just like people, dogs have a whole range of sensitivities to different foods and different health issues, different problems with coat and skin and all that kind of thing. And a holistic, healthy approach to that is what we really strive for through the store. Well, and there's nothing better than a happy dog. And no, there really isn't. And a happy dog makes a happy person and a happy person makes a happy dog. It's They all go together so well. How did Planet Dog get started? Well, our founder, um, Alex Fisher is his name. He, um, in 1996 or or seven, was um, very interested in some of these other lifestyle companies that, um, for example, Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia, companies that really um, had a mission behind what they were doing, had a real philosophy about the, the company and what it was promoting in addition to just the products. And he realized that there wasn't such a company out there doing this for dog products. And he was so in love with his dogs and really wanted to find a great way to incorporate the values-based companies that he was so fond of and so impressed by back then. Is Maine a good place to have a dog? Oh, it's one of the most dog-friendly states out there. Um, Portland, you know, there's a dog on every corner, everywhere you go. You see people with their dogs. um, And we have so much wonderful outdoor space to explore and enjoy with the dogs year-round. It's really great. What are some of the organizations that you support philanthropically? Well, we have, Planet Dog has always um, been giving back. It's part of the the central values of the company. So we have a nonprofit foundation, the Planet Dog Foundation, and a percentage of every sale of every Planet Dog um, toy that is sold anywhere, include here at our store, on our website, or at any of the thousands of retailers that carry our products online, um, 
we take that, those funds and give them to organizations that work with dogs to help people in need. So again, it's sort of an extension of the way that dogs and people really have such a symbiotic relationship and how dogs can be such a great complement to a lifestyle. Uh, so we support therapy dog programs where dogs might visit people in the hospital or um, reading programs where dogs might help children who are struggling with literacy, um, service dogs and assistance dogs for people with disabilities. Um, they might have a dog that helps them with mobility or independence. Um, there's diabetic alert dogs that we've funded programs where the dogs are able to actually sense a drop in a person's um, blood sugar and can alert the person before it turns into a life-threatening situation. Um, we also support canine search and rescue programs to help find lost hikers or maybe um, you know someone, an elder who has um, wandered off and can't be found. Um, police and fire dogs that help you know our our um, armed services and the military. All these different there's just scores of programs out there um, where dogs are helping people in need, and we support all of them. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Pierce Atwood, part of the Portland legal community for 120 years. Clients turn to Pierce Atwood for help with important deals and critical disputes, for creative solutions and sound advice about legal or business strategy, for peace of mind. For more information on Pierce Atwood, go to www.pierceatwood.com and by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. Can you help people navigate dog ownership as well? Because obviously when dogs and people overlap, there are great things that can happen. And then there are also things where people get annoyed with dogs living next door. I mean, Maine's a great place to have a dog, but there are also a lot of places that don't like dogs. Right. So do you guys help out in... We do a lot of that through our company store. Um, you know, we provide training classes at our company store. We have a puppy play group at the store where when people get a new dog, they can come in and learn how to socialize the dogs together. We have some trainers that come in every Saturday and Sunday morning, and it's a free service. People can just come in and let their dogs play and learn a lot about canine behavior, canine interaction, and that really early interaction really sets the stage for the dog's life. Um, if they're well socialized early on, they're going to be easier to train for the rest of their lives and have a more successful well, and they do say there are no bad dogs, just bad owners, right? <laughs> That's right. It is, a lot of it is about management and training. Um, you know, and we really do support a, a very positive training uh, methodology at the store. And we have trainers that um, we can help pair people up with to help address problem behaviors. Uh, and again, a lot of it is about getting an early start with a dog um, and making sure that, you know, that you understand how to work with the dog's natural behaviors uh, instead of trying to control them. Do you think that sometimes a person's relationship with their animal might be kind of a manifestation of underlying problems in their lives? Do you think that there are patterns that sometimes will get established in an individual that then kind of shows when they try to train an animal? 
Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I think that um, the personality of the person can really have an impact on the way the dog behaves. And the, um, the inconsistencies are what can cause behavior problems with dogs. If you're trying to train one behavior, but then you are, without even maybe realizing it, actually reinforcing a different behavior, just having a better sense of how dogs learn and how dogs, um, you know, learn how to interact with humans, um, all dogs are teachable and trainable. A lot of it is the consistency. And I think sometimes people who are busy or people who are stressed aren't always able to focus on what that consistent message to the dog is. Um, And it's an important thing to know so that you are consistently helping the dog to be the best dog that you want. Kristen, do you have a dog? I do. What kind of of dog? (laughs) I have a little rescue dog. She's a little terrier mix. Um, She's about 20 pounds. Her name is Roxy. And um, if she, you know, she's got more personality than any other dog I've ever had before in a tiny, tiny little body. (laughs) Does she get to go to work with you sometimes? She does. Planet Dog is a very, obviously, a dog-friendly work environment. So, um, you know, we have, on any given day at the office, I'd say we have about seven dogs there. Um, and then, of, of course, at the store, our store staff brings their dogs in as well as our customers. So there's dogs everywhere on Planet Dog Worlds. <laughs> and does that enhance your enjoyment of going to work? It does. I think it enhances everything about Planet Dog. You know, we really are trying to develop products and come up with innovative ways to enhance this lifestyle. So having the dogs around gives us inspiration. We get to see what things they're attracted to. They're our best product testers as we're trying to develop new toys and new interactive things for the dogs to do. We have this amazing um, product development posse with us at the office every day, and it gets you away from your desk. You get up, you get outside, you take that walk. Um, Fun meetings, too. Fun meetings. Um, you know, we've been through a couple of different uh, UPS delivery drivers, who some who don't love dogs as much as others, and it can get a little barky sometimes. Um, sometimes the phone conversation can be challenging, but again, it's all part of the training process, and we're all learning how to curb that behavior, too. Now, Planet Dog has grown to be quite a company here, locally based, right here in Portland. So what, what's the trajectory well, in you know, we were founded again in 1997, so actually this year we're celebrating our 15th anniversary. We started out with about 30 different SKUs, 30 different products, and a tiny little trade show booth and um, a very small little mailing list, and we now have over 400 products. Um, we have about 4,000 retailers here in the United States that carry our products, and in addition to global distribution we have distributors throughout the UK, throughout the European Union. We've got distribution in Australia, New Zealand, South America now. So we really have become a global brand, which is very exciting for us. Um, and our customer base just keeps growing and growing. We've won some really amazing industry awards, um, which I think is is really special recognition for us. We've been an award-winning company since the beginning because our innovation and the product design that we bring to the table is really phenomenal. Um, but those awards just keep coming coming in and in. So uh, it's nice to get the recognition from the industry as well. Terrific. Love to hear that about our homegrown company. Yes. It's nice to be Maine-based. And, um, you know, uh, the majority of our products are, are made in the United States. Um, we've, been ha- we've had manufacturers in Maine and Massachusetts, good New England roots, and, um, you know, able to employ a really great group of people right here in Maine as well. 
Kristen, can you t give us the retail location of the Planet Dog store and the website? Yeah, our company store is located at 211 Marginal Way in Portland. It's right off of exit 7 on 295, so it's easy on, easy off for people coming through town. Um, and we have a great parking lot there, so it's easy to park, easy to easy to get in and out. Um, and our website is planet, www.planetdog.com. From there, you can link to our company store page and learn more about the training events and some of the other events that we have regularly at the store, as well as to the Planet Dog Foundation site where you can learn a lot more about the philanthropy, the grants that we give away, and the type of work that we support that way. And we'll be sure to link through to your website on our website so people can find it very easily after they've listened to your um, interview. Thank you. That would be fantastic. We'd love to have people learn more about the company and, and uh, how to improve your lifestyle with your dogs and give a little something back at the same time. Well, it's been so fun to talk to you, Kristen. So I guess I'll uh, see you tomorrow at the dog park. All right. Thank you so much for having me, and it's been a pleasure. Planet Dog is one of the many entrepreneurial companies based in Maine that is profiled every month in Maine Magazine. To subscribe or read articles online, go to themainemag.com or pick up an issue at a local newsstand near you. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepherd Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Thus far today, we've had a chance to speak with Dr. Doug Andrews, who is a local veterinarian, and also Kristen from Planet Dog. Now we have a different dog owner in the house, and this would be John Locke, owner of two, I don't even know if you call him owner, but uh, companion to two therapy dogs. Nice to have you, John. Thank you. Nice to be here. And your dog's names are? Jake uh, is a nine-year-old Labradoodle, and Gypsy is a rescue. She's approximately four years old. She's a golden doodle. And your organ you work with um, Therapy Dogs Incorporated out of Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's correct. That's where we're um, certified with them. Uh, but I work primarily at May Medical Center um, with the volunteer services uh, of therapy dogs at the hospital. And there are about 50 therapy dogs, from what you've told me, at May Medical Center? Yeah, we've, um, since I came aboard uh, the last few years, we have uh, really increased our number of volunteers and therapy dog teams. Yeah, we're up to 50 uh, teams at this time, uh, working seven days a week uh, in most areas of the hospital. How did you come to be interested in having therapy dogs? You know, that's a great question. My uh, current dog, Jake, um, led me to it. Uh, he started coming to work with me on a daily basis. And I saw the interaction that he was having with people and children and uh, people of all kinds and what a positive effect he was having uh, on my business and just in people in general. And people actually told me, you should have this dog as a therapy dog. So I did some research, and uh, many months later, Jake became uh, a therapy dog. 
by recommendations to me, and now I've been very active in it. I'm, I've now uh, completed training and now have my second dog working. And uh, I, I, was, I was truly led to being a therapy dog handler by my dog. And you've been doing this for five years? Yes, approximately five years. Now, you show me the, um, the pictures uh, from Maine Medical Center of your dogs. Everybody gets scanned in, you said. Yes. You get scanned in, your dogs get scanned in. And from what I understand, the dogs and the pets that work through this therapy program at Maine Medical Center also leave calling cards. Yeah, what we do is um, we get scheduled on rotation. Uh, it changes weekly. We get different floors. So, for instance, um, last week I worked at Barbara Bush with the children. Um, we, we scan in when we get to the hospital, both um, myself and their dog. We, so the hospital knows that we're there, and they, they record and track our hours, and they know who's in the building at, at any time. We take the canines uh, through the hospital, you know, hospitals, ambassadors walk through the hospitals. We go up to the floor. We announce ourselves. And we have a liaison uh, at Barbara Bush Ward that uh, walks with us from room to room, introduces us to the children uh, that are in the room at requests if they'd like a visit from us. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, we are usually always welcomed in the rooms. And we spend um, anywhere as much as the children want us to spend with them. And it it conjures times uh, for the children to kind of get their minds off you know, what's maybe going on at that time in their life, as well as their families and their other siblings. And we talk about their dogs and we talk about why they like dogs. And we usually the children share a lot of nice stories with us about their dogs. And you can just see the, the, the amount of just relief and enjoyment that the canines bring to the children. And it gives them that little, whether it's a five-minute or 10 or more minutes amount of time that we spend with them, you can just see how exciting. And then we get to kind of cap it off with leaving behind an actual real-life photograph of the canine with all of their um, little snippets of what, you know, those canines enjoy from, uh, you know, their brothers or sister canines or foods that they like or things they like to do. And so we leave that behind so the kind of the visit keeps going on after we leave. And a lot of the children... Uh, and a lot of patients that maybe come to the hospital on a more frequent basis, unfortunately, get to collect the cards. So it's like a baseball card. Yeah. Is it hard to train a therapy dog? We get asked that a lot. We have the website um, that you can go to and get the information. Certainly, you can talk to May Medical Center Volunteer Services. It's not really that hard. It's some things that you have to download, and you can read on the website, therapydogs.com. And you can d- download the information. You can review it. Pretty simply, what the a certifier, after you feel you're prepared, you would actually meet with a certified person from Therapy Dogs that would usually, in most cases, do several visits with you in the environment that you want to work in. So if you want to work at May Medical Center, you might have three visits in May Medical Center. And that observer is going to be looking for things like uh, no tension in the lead, uh, the the canine not jumping up on people, just being a good citizen uh, and being comfortable in the environment. And what's equally important is they want to make sure the handler is comfortable in the environment. They don't want the canine to be under any stress whatsoever in the environment that they're working in. And you'll find with therapy dogs, uh, as well as Maine Medical Center, as well as all the handlers, we're very proactive for the canines. We want to make sure they're enjoying it, they're having fun, they're safe, 
and most importantly, that the patient is safe. And those are the things that the, the observers are going to be checking into. I understand there's another dog business in the family that's not therapy dog, but it's <laughs> kind of an interesting sidebar here. Yes, I do have um, specially trained canines um, for the t- uh, scent detection. And I know it's always going to be a little bit, people are going to be a little bit freaked out about it, but it's a great service and it's a great way for a canine to find a job that they truly love. And so they're working hard and they're providing a great service. And the scent service is bed bugs. They have the ability up to a 97% accuracy to scent live bed bug or viable egg uh, bed bug infestation in hotels or anywhere else you may think bed bugs could be. And unfortunately, I think this is a growing necessity, the, the ability to have animals scenting out bed bugs. Yeah, yeah. And it is. It's, we're busy seven days a week. And the fun thing is um, our dogs come out of Florida. They receive 800 hours of training uh, in the academies that they go to. Um, the dog of preference from a lot of handlers are beagles, but any dog is, it could be trained, I'm sure. We use beagles. Um, preferably rescued beagles, beagles that have found their ways into um, away from their current owner and into whatever rescue operation that you can rescue them from. And those are the dogs that are most desired because they are probably rescues for a reason. Uh, For whatever reason, they have been a little frustrated in their environment. And when they get a job like scenting bed bugs, because we train two to three hours a day most days, and they are food-generated, training positive, and the only way they eat is to find scent. So they're, every time they eat, and believe me, they're, they're fed well, but they have to earn that. And it's a food reward system. So they're working seven days a week, and uh, they find a job, and they love it. So they love doing it. So it sounds like all the creatures in your family are um, working hard these days. Your, your scent dogs, your therapy dogs. Do you ever sleep? Actually, I sleep very well. I sleep with all my dogs as close to me as I can, and I'm sleeping well. And they are too, because they've been working. That's a good insight that uh, a happy dog is a busy dog. Well, that's uh, that's my opinion. I, I like to keep them busy, and, and, and it makes for a great pet. Tell me how people can learn more about being a therapy dog or even your services with the bed bugs. Uh, If anybody is interested in a therapy dog, uh, what I always recommend for people is um, go to a local nursing home or, you know, uh, or something like that um, and and ask permission. Make sure your dogs are, you know, they have all their vaccinations and you feel that they're safe. I think if you present yourself at the, uh, at most nursing homes, they're going to welcome you with open arms. um, If you're, and and go in and see if you like um, visiting and spending time with people. You know, people are lonely. And especially at nursing homes, you know, uh, they don't get a lot of visitors. So um, you being able to come in with a therapy dog and come in and spend some time, um, I can speak from experience. I think I'm getting more out of it than the patient is. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And I can't um, encourage people enough to um, really look into it. And, um, and your dogs, I think, will absolutely love doing it and have so much fun doing it. So you can go to therapydogs.com 
and visit the website. Uh, if you desire to work at May Medical Center or Mercy or any other hospital here in the greater Portland area, um, you know, talk to volunteer services, uh, find out what their protocol is. Um, and it's all consumer or user-friendly stuff. It's nothing to be intimidated about. Uh, if you're a dog lover and you've got a well-behaved, good-citizen type canine, uh, people are going to welcome you with open arms. And your bedbug sniffing website? Yeah, our bed bug, I don't, that's a little bit uh, more of a commitment. I would caution people to, um, with that, if you if anyone had any interest, certainly contact me. Our website's northeastcaninedetectives.com. That's a big major commitment. Um, we do have some outside certification protocol that we follow, um, insurance and uh and a lot of things that we do that, and that's a that's a very full time um, uh, position. But if, if anyone has any interest in it, uh, it's a growing industry, and it's, you can travel, you can work it in all fifty states. But you can call and get if you think you might have bed bugs. You can call and get your services there. Too. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. You can always you can always call us and do a search. Um, we we would be glad to do a search. It's very affordable, great peace of mind, and that's all. That's something we'd be all too happy to help you with. Well, we've been speaking with John Locke about his therapy dog experience and about his therapy dogs, Gypsy and Jake. Thank you for coming in and talking to us today, John. My pleasure. Thank you. Our bodies are often the first indicators that something isn't quite working. Are you having difficulty sleeping, anxiety, or chronic pain issues? Maybe you've had a job loss, divorce, or recent empty nest. Dr. Lisa specializes in helping people through times of change and inspiring individuals to create joyful, sustainable lives. Visit doctorlisa.org for more information on her Yarmouth, Maine medical practice and schedule your office visit or phone consult today. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 24, airing for the first time on Sunday, February 26, 2012. Our show, Creature Comfort, included visits with Dr. Doug Andrews of Falmouth Veterinary Clinic, Kristen Smith of Planet Dog, and John Locke, a therapy dog owner who works at the Maine Medical Center. This week's show was all about how our creatures give us comfort and how, in turn, we can give them comfort. We also delved into some of the associations between health in animals and health in human beings and the social benefits of having animals in our lives. And as John Locke pointed out, there are health benefits as well. We hope that you are inspired to give comfort to the creatures in your lives, and we hope that you will listen to next week's show, Oceans and Islands. Visit DrLisa.org for more information on this show and our sponsors, Become a podcast subscriber at iTunes and like us on the Facebook page, Dr. Lisa. Or send an email to us through our website to receive our monthly emails. Thank you so much for being a part of our world. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, 
Pierce Atwood, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m., or streaming wlobradio.com. Podcasts are available at drlisa.org.